don't set yourself too high of targets. So in the beginning, it was like, okay, I'm going to write one article a quarter. Then, you know, you get used to it. It comes a bit easier. Okay, once a month, if you plan it and you say you're going to do it, then you just find the time to do it. Hi, this is Mark Whitby and welcome to The Resilient Recruiter. Today, I'm very pleased to introduce you to one of my clients, Lauren Steibing. Lauren is the founder of LS International, an executive search firm based in Barcelona. Lauren has built an international client base in the consumer packaged goods industry and recruits for global brands you'd find at your local supermarket or shopping center. What's amazing about Lauren's story is when she started her business, she had no biz dev experience. Her background was on the candidate side, having worked as a researcher for another headhunting firm. Luckily, Lauren is a quick study and just like David versus Goliath, she was soon pitching against the bigger, well-established search firms and winning. Don't get the idea it was easy. As you'll hear, her business got off to a very slow start and after six months, she had yet to make her first placement. But Lauren's attributes include resilience, persistence, and setting high personal standards, so failure was not an option. Stay tuned to find out how she finally turned things around and how she's able to compete as a boutique firm against much bigger players. The other thing that's fun about this episode is that Lauren is herself an experienced podcaster. She's produced 60 episodes of her own show over the last three years. So this is a case of the student becoming the teacher. And I wanted to learn as much as I could from her about building a personal brand. Let's dive in. Okay, welcome, Lauren. How are you today? Thank you, Mark. I'm doing great. Fantastic. So I was uh, really, really enthusiastic to have you on the show for two reasons. One, you are still one of my star clients, like best clients of all time. You're just a superstar. So I wanted to definitely get you on the show for that reason. But secondly, you have your own podcast, which looks like it's really, really successful. And so I wanted to pick your brains on on that as well. So, Well, thank you, Mark. That's very flattering. I'm very flattered. Thank you for all of that. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. Well, uh, you're someone I really enjoy working with. So Lauren, I mean, you've accomplished a lot in your, your short career. Can you actually, before we dive into your accomplishments, can you just explain briefly about the history of Ellis International? Sure. So Ellis International was created about four and a half years ago. Actually, in June, we'll make five years. And yeah, basically, I had decided to go start something on my own. I didn't have any previous business development experience at all. And that's where you came in, Mark, which we'll get to that. It is one of my achievements that I was able to build this business starting with no business development experience and no clients whatsoever. And really focused, I already had a quite a network, but more from a recruiter side within executive search and FMCG recruitment, consumer goods in sales and marketing. And that's where I, I targeted and started building my business there. Um, yeah, and it's been growing fantastically since then. Of course, let's not uh, kid ourselves. There have been a lot of challenges <laughs> and a lot of ups and downs, but I've enjoyed the ride for sure. All right. Amazing. And coming up for your five-year anniversary, congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So what were the kind of like key milestones in the development of LS International? Like, 
Tell me about your first year. Like, what was your first year like? You're setting up on your own, first time running your own business and first time doing the business development side of things. Yeah, the first year was the the toughest, in my opinion, I think probably for everyone. Um, But the first year, it involved a lot of, I would say, a lot of kind of mapping which companies I wanted to work with, mapping which people I needed to network with. Um, Of course, trying to get job orders, trying to get retainers, also starting to do contingency a bit, you know, trying to see how to set up what model I wanted to do. I think I was about six months in when we were introduced more or less, and I still hadn't had a client. Well, I had a couple of signed contingency contracts, but no revenue at all and no real business, let's say, no searches that I was working on. And I had very clear from the beginning that I wanted to do retained search because that's what I knew how to do. I felt if I went to the model of contingency, I didn't know like the processes that I had set up, I wouldn't have been successful there. So it was a lot of really, I would say, mapping the market and mapping who I needed to speak with and who I needed to network with. I started traveling. I always thought that was very important. And yeah, I ended up getting my first client, like I think maybe one month after we started working together, which was fantastic. And from there, it was all, it's always been easier. Once you have your first client, I think it always becomes easier. Absolutely. So, wow. So a challenging like first six months, just finding your feet and getting a bit of momentum And then how did things shape up for your your first year then? Yeah, so the first year, I ended up making money. I didn't know that that was quite unheard of. I said, oh, well, okay, I was just targeting to break even. So I ended up making money. I mean, hardly any money, but it still was in the green, if we can say it that way. It was basically the confidence that I needed to keep going. I had set myself from the beginning, I'm going to try this for a year. And if I don't make it, which for me was kind of like, okay, if I don't get any business, I didn't even necessarily need to make money. It was just, if I didn't get any business, then I probably needed to look for another job. So it ended quite well. But of course, I mean, from that point, you're not necessarily satisfied with that. It's okay. Let's do, let's double, let's triple, let's keep going. And and that's what I've been trying to do since then. All right. Amazing. So let's dive in then. What would you say, looking back over your development as an entrepreneur and and running the business, what do you regard as a few of your biggest achievements? The biggest achievements for me, the top ones would be, yes, just being able to build the business with no clients or business development experience at all. Secondly, would be that we've achieved a 90% close rate on all the searches that we've been retained on. Um, So for me, that's been very important to, let's say, provide a very good service and be able to deliver what I what I promise I'm going to deliver. And the third would be building a team of high performers that come to work every day or almost every day highly engaged. And um, yeah, seeing them grow. And I would say those three things are really the the top biggest achievements for us. Amazing. That's brilliant. Thank you for for sharing that, Lauren. So if I can double click on the first one that you mentioned, which is building the business and figuring out how to acquire clients and and all that. Can you like walk me through that a little bit? Like what was the sort of challenge that you're up against and how did you figure it out? I mean, in the beginning, you kind of just 
have to, let's say, build a brand for yourself. So I realized quite quickly that if I wanted to have clients with big blue chip multinationals, they don't hire usually, in my experience, just a single recruiter that doesn't want to build a company. I realized that quite quickly that, you know, they want to work with someone that can fill multiple roles. It doesn't mean that you have to fill hundreds of roles, but at least multiple roles in a specific function. I think that has to do with the processes internally and let's say red tape internally that in order to sign, you know, all these new recruiters all the time would be too much work for them. So I think, well, I put a quite a bit of emphasis on, yeah, on my social media, building the brand, starting the podcast, really always putting, let's say the candidate at the center, which was always important for us and having our clients realize that we weren't in it just to make money or just to please them, but we were really there to make a match between their business and our candidates and always taking time out to build relationship with the candidates as well. I think also in terms of professionalism was always something that was quite important to me. And I think that has to do with, let's say, the confidentiality side that is an issue sometimes in recruitment, especially at very high levels. You know, they need to know that you're going to take that conversation very confidentially. I think also, let's say, a professionalism from the point of response rate. I think that there are some recruiters in the industry that don't respond and that burns bridges. So just letting my network know that no matter what, I would always be there to respond with a yes, a no. Let me direct you in, in another area that they could help you better than I can. Being honest and genuine, I've always been open to giving hard feedback to both candidates and clients. And I think that that's key to be able to build those relationships. Of course, as you can imagine, it doesn't go over well with everyone. I think hard feedback never will. But I do think that that's helped us in the end to develop the business that we have. Interesting. Could you say a little bit more about what do you mean by hard feedback and how you've approached that? Let's just take a candidate feedback, for example. I think it's very important that you challenge the candidates on why they're going to be making a move or why they're not going to be making a move, why they would stay. I think it's quite normal in large blue chip multinational companies. You know, they have great jobs, but to challenge them on not to just do a career path, which they've been told is the right career path, but to really challenge them on, is that what you really want? Is that in line with who you are and what you're trying to achieve in your career. And I think it's not a challenge that a lot of them receive throughout their career in the sense of if you're rated very highly in your company, they put you in specific roles that I think you can be very successful in. And then the companies move you along in those roles, kind of how they want you to move. And sometimes I don't think the candidates really reflect on what they want versus what they think the normal career path is. Mm. Awesome. I can see how challenging people in a professional way like that could really help to earn the respect of the of the candidate and really get them engaged at a, at a deeper level. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think that they also enjoy that, especially if it's something that they haven't had before, um, to put it into a different perspective. And as well, you know, individuals that are promoted from within their same company, 
for 10 or 15 years, they really have that perspective. They don't have an outsider's perspective. So we've tried to always really help in that way and challenge them in that way to have a kind of broader perspective because that's what we see. Definitely. I, that's so valuable. Lauren, uh, let me try and dive in a little bit deeper to this issue of developing business with big blue chip multinationals. Because what you, the task you set yourself, I have to hand it to you, your commitment and your aspirations were fantastic because it is a tall order to going to approaching brand new clients who are that big and you're a one man band and you want to sign them up on a retainer, that's um, that's not easy. How did you actually break into your first few accounts? In the beginning, I did start, let's say, smaller at more like mid-sized companies. I would say around 1 billion euros in turnover, which was recommended to me as well, because let's say they can get you through more quickly. There isn't as many processes that you need to, to go through. And that kind of helped to build credibility as well. And maybe some of those people then went into larger organizations. But I think it was, in terms of the big organizations, I think it was really just the perseverance and continuing to knock on the door, to mm. be honest. I okay. think that if I had just tried once and they said no, then I wouldn't be here today. I do. And I think people in my network will tell you as well that I'm like a very persistent person. And I think that that really was one of the, the great things that got me into those companies. And that's the thing. I'm quite impatient. And I think sometimes it does take longer than I would like, but you just have to keep trying. Of course, there can also be instances which happen where you realize, hey, this is a waste of time, so I'm not going to go forward. But as long as you're progressing in some way, just keep going. Right. I love it. It's funny how you said a mid-sized business is a billion euros in uh, in, in revenue, but uh, but it's good you you adapted your strategy to identify which companies you might have the best uh, traction with quickly. When you say you're persistent, what form does that persistence take? Like, how would you go about pursuing one of your target clients? Emailing, calling, text messaging, LinkedIn <laughs> messaging, <laughs> going to conferences as well. I mean, of course, ah. in the beginning, I couldn't afford because they, they can be quite expensive. But conferences as well, I think, is a good strategy to find out where your net. I mean, it's quite easy for anyone that does business development probably knows this already. But to find conferences that your your target client is going to and meet them there. But that is a bit more complex because you can pay up to 3000 or 5000 to go to a conference. So you have to really do a, a good amount of research to know if it's going to pay off in the end. But yeah, I would say across any channel necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Love it. So multi-channel communication, persistence, targeting the most relevant conferences and attending those. How have you used conferences in order to build relationships and win new business? Yeah, so I think it's important to identify like which conferences you want to go to and why. So are you going to HR conferences because you want to meet HR directors or are you going, of course, like to, let's say, talent conferences to try to find people for your own team or are you going more niche digital conferences? I think there are different ways that you can use the conferences either through going 
and using the content for content marketing, you know, look, taking videos, pictures, and these kinds of things that you then use that information to share with your network, which is more from a content marketing point of view, or are you going because that's the place where all your clients are? which sometimes they don't allow headhunters to go to, I learned. <laughs> or or it's by invitation only, so you can't necessarily get in certain. It depends on what exactly the conference is. But I do think having a conference strategy makes sense in overall business. And maybe there's a year I don't go to any because I don't think that that year it, it makes sense, whether it be for a network perspective or price perspective. But I think to continuously be looking at that makes a lot of sense. Ah, so are there, were there any situations where you figured out how to get invited or attend a conference where normally they don't allow headhunters? I don't think so necessarily. We've been invited to a couple. They were new conferences. So I said, well, they just needed like people there, you know, to fill some seats. But I, I think that... Um, it's something that takes quite a bit of time to try to collaborate with them. I haven't seen the return on investment yet. I think that it would make more sense for me to invest my time in looking at speaking events to yes. build my reputation a little bit more and then go back to trying to get the invites to those conferences. I saw something you posted on LinkedIn where you were speaking or you were... yes chairing an event. What was that about? Yeah. So I, we sponsored that Ellis International sponsored that event, which is an event with the lead network. And um, it's around di diversity and inclusion. It was in Madrid back in, in November. And yeah, I spoke and some of my team spoke as well, but yeah, that was, we had to, we were sponsors. So it involved financial investment. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And was it worthwhile? I think so. I mean, we enjoyed it. Besides enjoying it a lot, let's say as as a guest, I learned a lot as well and got to meet very relevant people. So I think it was definitely worth it. Yeah. What I love about that, and from what I saw from the pictures, it really positioned you as an authority, Lauren, and someone as a as a leader in your like having a leadership role within your your ecosystem or your your market. And so I think that's really powerful. Speaking of content marketing and, and leadership, you've been really successful with your podcast. Why did you start a podcast and what's been the benefit? Yeah. So the podcast, I'll give you some credit, Mark, was your idea. I remember you saying like, Lauren, you're doing calls all day. Why wouldn't you be able to do a podcast? And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll give it a try. I mean, for, for me, I think that's been one consistency since starting my business is I'll try I wouldn't say anything, not anything, but I'll try things that are out of the box and you see if they work. If not, that's fine. As long as it doesn't damage, you know, your reputation or your brand very much, but a podcast, I mean, why not try it? And yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. We've been able to develop between myself and my team, something that we really enjoy doing. And we also have been able to provide our network with a platform, you know, to share their ideas, opinions, knowledge, and for other listeners to be able to learn from our network and also get to know people that they wouldn't have necessarily known previously. So I think the the network has enjoyed it. We've enjoyed it. I haven't seen any, any downside to the podcast whatsoever. Well, I have to hand it to you again. What I love about working with you is that you are a massive action taker. I've suggested to, I don't know how many people that they should start a podcast. 
And you're one of the few that has actually implemented that strategy, Lauren. And you've now, from last time I checked your website, you've done this about 60 times now. Yeah, we started in 2016, which is a long time ago now, 2016, yeah. which of course the ones from 2016 are not as good as the ones today. <laughs> it's a continuous uh, improvement process, but you must have the system down now. And I noticed that your team members are doing them now as well. So you must have a process that then you can teach to others. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, if you're doing interviews, it's what, what I said and what you suggested. If you're doing interviews anyway, it's putting together a bit of preparation and then finding the individuals that then trust you to participate in the podcast, which was one of the biggest issues at the beginning for someone that is building their business and someone that doesn't have a podcast yet. And then if you take the individuals, which we have on our podcast are quite senior executives who have never done a podcast before and they see podcasts as like, oh, maybe that's something for young young individuals or it seems quite intimidating for them. And I'm like, no, you just go on the phone and have a regular conversation and then it turns into a podcast. I think that was the most difficult part in the beginning. And the good thing is now it's much easier to get guests. I think also podcasts have become more popular. People are listening to podcasts. It makes it much easier. And I think they also see the benefit of sharing their knowledge and their opinions. It also builds their brand, which is great for them within our network. So I think they've really enjoyed it as well. Awesome. So what do you feel has been the benefit for you and for LS International of being consistent with your podcast? The consistency as well has proved to our network that we are serious about it and we are dedicated to providing that content and to providing that information to our network. I think if we would have done it like one podcast here, six months or four months goes by and another one and it's quite sporadic, it wouldn't have had the same effect. I think we also have, let's say, monthly listeners and have more engagement in our in our newsletter as well. Um, individuals that really look forward to the podcast. And ultimately, I think overall, yes, it's helped us gain credibility with our network. I mean, anyone that sees someone that they look up to on the podcast, then they automatically, you know, want to associate themselves with us as well. Absolutely. I think it's massive for your credibility and your visibility as well in your in your market. A lot of things you're suggesting like content marketing and attending conferences and, you know, running a podcast for a lot of recruitment business owners, especially if they're either solo practitioners or they have a very small boutique firm like yours, then they're going to say, oh man, I don't have time to do all that. What would your answer to that be? And how have you made it work for you in spite of, you know, only having so many hours in the day? Hiring individuals, like using Upwork and finding individuals that can help you with the editing or that can help you with graphic design, that can help you with a small summaries that you need to put it on the website and all of these things is key. For me in the beginning, the the only reason why I did any content marketing or any marketing at all was finding, let's say, key partners that could help me put together all of the pieces because, yeah, we can't afford to have a full-time marketing manager. Um, so I would say investing in finding the right freelancers and individuals that can support you would definitely be key. It's like going to the gym. <laughs> Maybe sometimes you don't want to do it, but you just make time for it. And you're like, hey, I need my next podcast guest. I need my next article. And also, I think it's important to say that 
don't set yourself too high of targets. So in the beginning, it was like, okay, I'm going to write one article a quarter. Then, you know, you get used to it. It comes a bit easier. Okay. Once a month. So it was kind of the, with the podcast, I'm not sure if I've ever missed a month. Maybe I did, but I think the podcast, I had to like scramble a bit sometimes to keep it going. But I think it's just more, if you plan it and you say you're going to do it, then you just find the time to do it. And since you're speaking, at least me, the people I was on speaking with all day, every day could be guests. It's not like I needed separate time to do calls, to find guests, if that makes sense. It went hand in hand. And I'm sure the same with you, Mark, that you can find a guest even within your business and your regular call. That's really well said. I, I love your gym analogy as well. That's that's brilliant. Looking back over the last five years then or four and a half years, how have you been able to compete against the big brand name search firms and win business from you're pitching against much better established and well-known headhunting firms, and yet you've been able to be successful against them. How, how do you explain that? It's very hard. I have some very worthy competitors, in my opinion. <laughs> I think that going back to the, the podcast that we do need to go back to here, which the point is, is that I think if you look at some of our biggest competitors, number one, they may have a podcast. It, it may be a lot of them do have a podcast now, but I think in the beginning, it was something that they weren't really doing, or they were doing it at a very, very high executive board level, which is fine, but it's quite unrelatable and it's quite unrelatable to most people. So I think it's good from an information point of view, but I think they always give off a feeling of being unrelatable, in my opinion. Mm, and we've always tried to build our brand as we're the same as me and you, and we're people, and we know how it is to look for jobs, and we know how it is to develop our career. And I would say being more approachable and also giving a more personalized approach to what we do is one of the things that I think makes us stand out. And the podcast goes hand in hand with that in a lot of times in recruitment, people think that their network is like their moneymaker and they don't want to share their network because the names that they and the people that they know are how they make money. And I've never seen it like that ever. And I've always thought that, look, that person is a person <laughs> and I don't own that person by any means. And all I want to do is, let's say, share with my network, that person. Of course, we have to make money at the end of the day. So I do need to fill roles and do recruitment in that way. But that doesn't mean that I can't provide them with a platform to share names and share information and these things. And I think that especially HR directors have given us the feedback that they've really enjoyed that to have like this fresh perspective on, hey, this individual is willing to share their network, which is usually something very sacred for free. I always tell them like, yeah, if you subscribe to my newsletter, you can probably have a great pipeline of top talents coming through every month. Um, but I do think that that has been a differentiator in the way that we operate. I think another point is just the size. And I'm sure you've seen this with all the different businesses that you've worked with, that when you're smaller, you're able to be flexible and really to adapt to each client's needs, change processes or change tools you're able to just be much more flexible and adaptable, like from one day to the next. 
I was listening to one of your podcasts. I think it was Jason, the more, most recent one that was saying like, you know, about keeping it customer centric, which we do as well. It's if you need to figure out how to split a fee or work with someone else, that's something that we can offer that a lot of the big firms wouldn't be able to. Interesting. I love it. That makes a lot of sense. So Lauren, the mindset and the approach being approachable, being relatable, being customer centric, all of that makes a lot of sense and being adaptable. Let's say you've got a pitch and it's against like a company that's been going for 20 years and they have offices all over the world. In those situations where you've been successful, what was the reason the client told you that they decided to go with you? I think that I've definitely benefited from the mistakes and the failures that the big firms have made. Mm. A number of times I've gotten their business because they just continuously haven't delivered or continuously mm -hmm. under delivered, which I'm happy to take that business. I've always said, okay, great. <laughs> here's my chance. Move out of the way. But I do think that between that and also I do think then once we started being successful and having the fill rate that we have, having the retention rate that we have, then you have a reputation that allows people to maybe give you a chance. But I think in the beginning, to be honest, most of the business that I won from them in the beginning was because they had underperformed and we were there offering something new, fresh, flexible, agile. And I think the clients thought like, okay, well, we'll give her a chance. Great answer. That makes total sense. So looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently if you knew then what you know now? I'm not really a big regrets kind of person. I've learned a lot along the way. Of course, everyone makes mistakes. There haven't been any huge mistakes in my opinion. I think that the one thing, as I mentioned before, I'm quite impatient. So I think that if now I know, let's say how long it's going to take to build the business and how long it's going to take to get a client at that size, maybe you get lucky and you can zip through in two weeks. But I would say more being more patient and not being so impatient in the beginning, I think would have helped me a little bit. But at the same time, I do think that that impatience also makes you work very hard and work much faster. So it's a kind of, it's a good thing and a bad thing in, in my opinion. But now I do try to sit back and think, okay, look, you've seen all of these examples of how long it's going to take. You know, if there's a two month dry period, don't panic, just wait. You know that it's going to come through if you do the things like you've been doing them. So I think it would be more like staying patient and staying focused and not worrying so much. Interesting. I love it. I'd like to take the conversation in a slightly different direction. You mentioned one of your big accomplishments is growing the team. Before I ask you that, Lauren, we should probably explain your accent because people are sitting here listening to someone who sounds American, but they obviously live in Europe. Can you tell us, like, how did you end up in Barcelona? What's that all about? Yeah, so I'm American. I'm from New Orleans, but I went to study abroad when I was 20 and I met my now husband, who is Spanish. He's from Pamplona. And I moved to Spain almost eight years ago now. So yeah. Awesome. How is your Spanish? Are you fluent? Yes, yes. I speak Spanish. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Great. So a really difficult decision for 
like solo recruiters is whether they just stay working by themselves or whether they try and build a firm and have a team supporting them. You obviously decided on the latter. What made you decide that and how have you gone about that? Yeah, I think I've always been quite flexible in the setup. When I was working on my own, I also started working with a guy in the UK that, you know, we would exchange candidates or clients or we could help each other fill roles. And that was very helpful at the time. I think that as the time went on, I just realized, hey, we're not necessarily going to develop the business together. It was quite difficult to manage that from like a longer term perspective that we don't live in the same country and we aren't developing the business in the same way. And I've just started reflecting on, okay, what are the different types of setups? I know we had the discussion a few times of what could work, what couldn't work. And I would say still overall, I'm still quite flexible and we still partner with various individuals around the world that can support us either on the candidate side or on the client side, et cetera. But we do have employees now that, that work for us full time. And I think it's been a, a great experience to be able to, let's say, pass on the learnings, the sufferings, the learnings that I, I gained over those, well, I would say through my career, but mainly over the, the two years when I was starting on my own, and really be able to pass those on and see people grow within the business and learn and, let's say, do very well, develop. And that's been very rewarding. And I think from that moment, when you start seeing that and you start seeing the effect that you can have on their development and their life. I was able to then make a decision like, okay, I think it's best to to have a team and, and build a team. And that would be the, the strategy going forward. But it doesn't necessarily, I know I was listening to your podcast about developing virtual teams. For me, it doesn't have to be something so rigid, like, oh, it's going to be office or it's going to be virtual. I, I think, and especially in this day and age, you can have many different types of setups as we've seen. Absolutely. So you hired your first person when in year three? Yes. Okay, so year three. Now, where this gets tricky, Lauren, is that the role of a billing manager, so you still have your own clients, you're still doing searches, you're still making placements, and you have to also coach and support a, a team member. That's a really difficult thing to do. How have you organized yourself in order to make that work? What I've realized is that the time you put in to develop someone pays back to have more free time to do other things. So it's more investing the time at the beginning, which is something that I've, I've always done. And then I realized early on that, okay, if you invest the time in the beginning, then they can be much more autonomous and I could go back to doing other things. So I think it's really being focused on, you have to be very, very, I've always been good at multitasking, but it's also putting specific things in the calendar that you know need to get done, whether it be training or handovers or meetings and these kind of things to be quite persistent with it. And don't just let it slip through because there's a client call or you know other emergencies, which seem like emergencies, but realizing that the team and the team's development is the thing that is going to help the most for the business to be successful. Good explanation. In terms of plans, like what is the vision for LS International in the future? I still feel and definitely true that we've only won a small part of the market share within consumer goods and retail, within the functions that we work. We can definitely expand to other functions within consumer goods and retail. We can also expand to other industries. 
I think for now, we will focus on consumer goods and retail. And since we are a global and have always worked globally, it makes sense to develop markets, specific markets where we see that it, it makes sense. Like the US, I think we've done a good amount of work, but there's still a lot to be done there. And also just, I would say, overall, making sure that our candidates keep having the best experience, partnering with us throughout their careers, and our clients still feel that we're providing them with the best service when it comes to executive search. And um, yeah, I would say overall, growing the team and building this to be bigger than what it is today. Awesome. All right. Well, Lauren, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I think you have a lot of valuable insights. So thank you for sharing those. Well, you're welcome. I hope it's been helpful for the listeners. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. By the way, Lauren has asked me to mention that she's actively hiring recruitment consultants for her business in Barcelona. So if you're open to relocating to a beautiful historic city in Catalonia, Spain, you can reach her at Lauren at ls-international.com. That's Lauren at limasierra-international.com. Finally, if you're interested in being mentored by me and receiving the same kind of support I provided to Lauren, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. During that call, I will be focused on helping you to get crystal clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are slowing you down or stopping you, and creating the roadmap to remove those roadblocks and achieve your goals more quickly. Gaining clarity is one of the key benefits of working with a coach. Just to be clear, I take no credit for Lauren's success. That was entirely the result of her own hard work and determination. I do believe I can help you achieve your goals faster than if you're trying to figure everything out on your own. And I can promise you'll leave the call feeling re-energized, focused, and with a solid plan for taking your business to the next level with or without my help. Once again, it's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. See you next week.